last one standing wins. <laughs> Professional Podcast. Drinking from Human Skulls. A professional podcast. Hello everyone, welcome once again to another episode of Drinking from Human Skulls. My name is Doni Cordoni. I'll be your host again, once again, for this episode. And we're back. And we're going to talk again about trusting the science. This time, it's the vaccine edition. And you should for sure trust the vaccine because it definitely doesn't have a giant pharmaceutical PR machine behind it. Oh, no, 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 no. Everything you hear about the vaccine is 100% unfiltered truth, science, facts, straight from the doctors and scientists. Well, nobody wishes that was true more than me, but it sure as heck ain't. And as it turns out, there's a lot of disinformation and misdirection going on. And listen, I get it. You want the vaccine to work. You want the vaccine to solve your problems. You want life to return to normal again. But hold on. At what cost? You know, there's a lot of stuff we have to wonder about. And we have to keep in mind that pharmaceutical business is for profit. The Big Pharma PR machine is a well-oiled one at that. And it's really cranking it into high gear. But think about it for a second, folks. Follow the money. Why wouldn't they be cranking it into high gear? A pharmaceutical company is, after all, a company. And their goal is to make money. Of course. Everybody wants to do their very best. Every sales agent wants to sell as much as possible. Every marketing person, every PR person wants to show that they can create results to further their own careers. And if you think that thousands of employees worldwide are going to miss an opportunity to capitalize on this COVID-19 craze, why wouldn't they? This is where pharmaceutical companies make the most money when nobody has any other choice but to trust in their products. Today, the product we're going to be focusing on is the COVID-19 quote-unquote vaccine. And I say quote-unquote because a lot of people, including Dr. David Martin, who's going to talk about how this isn't actually a vaccine at all by definition. In fact, by legal definition, it is a technology. So I'm not going to try and rephrase this guy. He's obviously far beyond my capabilities. So let's have a listen to Dr. David Martin set the stage for what this COVID vaccine really is. Take a drink, folks. And now our Canada Health top officials two days ago said just because the vaccines are here doesn't mean that we're going to loosen the, loosen the measures at least until the end of 2022 and we may tighten them before then. And so my question to you all is, how much do you perceive this sort of vacillating, contradictory, shifting, uh, perpetual shifting of the official line from people like Fauci and other chief medical officers as sheer negligence and design? How much do you think it's design and how much you think it's just incompetence? Rocco, let's make sure we're clear on something. Let's stipulate that this is not a vaccine. We need to be really clear. 
we're using the term vaccine to sneak this thing under public health exemptions. This is not a vaccine. This is a mRNA packaged in a fat envelope that is delivered to a cell. It is a medical device designed to stimulate the human cell into becoming a pathogen creator. It is not a vaccine. Vaccines actually are a legally defined term and they're a legally defined term under public health law. They're a legally defined term under CDC and FDA standards. And a vaccine specifically has to stimulate both an immunity within the person receiving it, but it also has to disrupt transmission. And that is not what this is. They have been abundantly clear in saying that the mRNA strand that is going into the cell is not to stop transmission. It is a treatment. But if it was discussed as a treatment, it would not get the sympathetic ear of public health authorities because then people would say, what other treatments are there? The use of the term vaccine is unconscionable for both the legal definition term of it, but also because it actually is the sucker punch to open and free discourse. Because by saying vaccine, you dump it into a thing where you could be anti or pro the therapy. Uh, Good googly moogly, he's really laying it down, this guy. And he sounds like he makes a lot of sense. So why haven't we heard this perspective before? Actually, he continues, but I wanted to interject here to really emphasize one point. What he said was, if you make this thing a vaccine instead of a therapy, then you can put people in loony toony camps. You can call them anti-vaxxers, for example, if they have any questions. And they've done that. We've seen it. They've been doing it a lot. But in this case, it ain't a vaccine. But let's continue listening to Dr. David Martin. But if you actually talked about it as a therapy, remember... And people forget this. Moderna was started as a chemotherapy company for cancer, not a vaccine manufacturer for SARS. If we said we're going to give people prophylactic chemotherapy for the cancer they don't have, you'd be laughed out of a room because it's a stupid idea. That's exactly what this is. This is a mechanical device in the form of a very small packet of technology that is being inserted into the human system to activate the cell to become a pathogen manufacturing site. Mm, let me just emphasize another thing. He says, if we suggested to give people prophylactic cancer treatment for the cancer they don't have, you'd be laughed out of a room. That's what this is. This quote unquote vaccine is a treatment, a prophylactic treatment that you may or may not need. If you aren't exposed to COVID, then you will never have needed this vaccine. So why are we giving it to everyone? It doesn't stop transmission. So then it serves no purpose, especially if you believe the science on these other medications like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and if you've listened to my other episodes on the COVID-19 pandemic, then you would know that as well. And of course, it's not only me talking about it, it's a lot of people. But let's get back to Dr. David Martin because he's got a lot more to say. Wow. And I refuse to stipulate in any conversations that this is, in fact, 
a vaccine issue. The only reason why the term is being used is to abuse the 1905 Jacobson case that has been misrepresented since it was written. And if we were honest with this, we would actually call it what it is. It is a chemical pathogen device that is actually meant to unleash a chemical pathogen production action within a cell. It is a medical device, not a drug, because it meets the CDRH definition of a device. It is not a living system. It is not a biologic system. It is a physical technology. It happens to just come in the size of a molecular package. So we need to be really clear on making sure we don't fall for their game because their game is if we talk about it as a vaccine, then we're going to get into a vaccine conversation. But this is not by their own admission a vaccine. So and Judy, as a result, sorry, it must be clear to everyone listening that we will not fall for this failed definition, just like we won't fall for their industrial chemical definition of health, because both of them are functionally flawed and are an explicit violation of the legal construct that is being exploited. So Judy, as a scientist here, could you boil that down into English for a boy who who grew up with a blue collar? I, 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 take, I take your explanation, David, and that's superb. But for those out there who may not be able to follow that very intelligent analysis, and that's not meant as an insult, David. I, I, oh, no. I, I get frustrated when I hear activists and lawyers and everybody else saying, we're going to fight the vaccine. If you stipulate it's a vaccine, you've already lost the battle. It's not a vaccine. So what should I be referring to, to it as? A chemical agent or... Correct. It, it's a synthetic pathogen. They've literally injected the the very right. pathogenic part of the virus into okay. every cell of the body. So it, when you say pathogen, that says to me it's going to get me make me sick. Correct. So they, they it, it is made to make you sick. Rocco, remember that eighty percent of the people allegedly exposed to allegedly SARS-CoV-2. So let's not get into that rabbit hole. But correct. 80% of the people who are exposed to allegedly the virus have no symptoms at all. They're called asymptomatic carriers. 80% of the people who get this injected into them have a clinical adverse event. Correct. Right. You, you are getting injected with a chemical substance to induce illness, Correct. not to induce a immunotransmissive response. In other words, nothing about this is going to stop you from transmitting anything. This is about getting you sick and having your own cells be the thing that get you sick. Correct. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to trigger an autoimmune response? And it Among can, many things. Among many things. It can actually directly cause multiple sclerosis, Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, Alzheimer's disease, because that's what the expression of that pathogenic envelope. It can cause accelerated cancer. That's what the expression of that piece of virus, that syncytin alone, has been known to do for decades. You injected the, the disease, literally. So by the way, before we continue, this is a conversation from a podcaster guy named Sasha Stone, and the event is called Focus on Fauci. And we'll be getting into a little bit more on Fauci as well later on. But you probably also heard another speaker there, researcher named Judy Mikovich, 
who seems like a very interesting character as well, talking about some very interesting stuff. Dr. David Martin saying that 80% of people who get COVID will show no symptoms at all, and 80% of people who get the vaccine do have an adverse reaction. So a quote-unquote vaccine that you don't need to take, that doesn't stop transmission, that will give you an adverse reaction when you may have otherwise never had one because you didn't take the vaccine. Anyway, let's take a final drink of our good guy, Dr. David Martin. He is a good guy. Take a drink. And so, David, in your presentation, you talked about how Anthony Fauci is not expert in what he's touting and advancing. And it it seems to me that neither is Bill Gates or any of his other corporate billionaire oligarchs. Why this American culture, and I don't blame the Americans per se, because it's pervasive all over the world. Why do we accept non-experts to lead the charge and and make the rules on Again, is it the money? As Bobby said very clearly, when we legalized the media to be owned by the advertisers, and all of the media, whether it's the social media, whether it's the broadcast media, whether it's anything else, when the paymaster for the distribution of information happens to be the industry that's doing the distributing, we lose. Because the only narrative is the one that will be compensated by the people writing the check. And the fact of the matter is that goes for our politicians because our politicians were bought by the pharmaceutical industry more so than oil and gas, more so than any other industry. They've been purchased by the pharmaceutical industry and our media has been paid for by the pharmaceutical industry. And you put those two things together to Robert's point, and it's so important to reinforce this. If you follow the money, you realize there is no non-conflicted voice on any network, period. There is no non-conflicted voice. You cannot get an independent voice from any mainstream platform at all, because if it doesn't meet the editorial standards of the advertisers, it doesn't happen. Mm, So there he is, Dr. David Martin, using my favorite, favorite phrase, follow the money. And yeah, you should follow the money, of course. And as he said, there isn't a single conflicted voice on any news channel or media outlet in the mainstream why is that maybe fox news was for a moment and then backtracked maybe oan or these other right-wing outlets are dabbling but actually this stuff it should be salaciously covered why dr david martin isn't doing a ton of interviews it doesn't make any sense They don't want to show both sides because the pharmaceutical companies pay the bills. Hello, have you ever watched CNN? I'm in Canada and I know that when you watch CNN in America, it's nothing but pharmaceutical advertisements. Nothing but. They recently had a story where people from the UK were watching this interview with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry where they were, you know, calling the Queen racist or whatever. Who knows what they were talking about? But people were commenting, the number one thing they were commenting on was how many pharmaceutical advertisements are on American programming. Hello? It's right under your nose. Follow the money. And if you think that they've just captured the mainstream media, well, you're mistaken. Because they're all over social media as well. Paying people 
to sow disinformation. And of course, I can't prove that they're paying people, but I just have to wonder. For example, there's this whole outfit called Team Halo on TikTok, and they're really just leaning into this stuff. So let's listen to this one personality named Dr. Cat. See what she has to say about the COVID vaccine. Fair and balanced. Take a drink. Cat epidemiologist, I've had a number of people asking me about the 23 Norwegian people who passed away after they were vaccinated with an mRNA vaccine. These are being investigated by the Norwegian Medicines Association, or NOMA, and they are finished with 13 of the investigations so far, and they've concluded that these deaths were adverse reactions that are very common to the mRNA vaccines like fever, nausea, and diarrhea, and that these would contribute to poor outcomes in people that are old and frail, and these people were all elderly and very frail with a lot of underlying severe disease. Okay, she's really glossing over this, but let me just reiterate. What she said was the vaccine would contribute to poor outcomes, but the report says death. She editorialized on the fly. Anyhow, Dr. Gat continued. He went on to say that they are not alarmed or worried about the vaccine in younger, healthy populations and that they are going to continue with their vaccination program in Norway as planned. So if the only people who need the vaccine are killed by it, and the only people who can withstand the vaccine fully are people who don't need it, follow the money. These big pharma companies want to make their billions of dollars. But it's not just shills on TikTok that are doing this vaccine shuffle for who knows who, but it's also YouTubers. And I found this one interview by a channel called Veritasium interviewing Bill Gates, the mascot-in-chief of vaccines. But I'll link to him and this video, and uh, it's so funny if you go and check the video comments. I thought I was talking to a larger group. I think most people already understand this stuff because the comment section is just nothing but a troll and Bill Gates asking questions and making jokes about why he's involved in this at all. I have questions as well. But let's kick it off. I'm going to clip this guy in this video because he says something just outrageous to me. And I want you to listen to that. So let's take a drink of this. Bill Gates making tons of sense. Making a safe vaccine is more complicated than, say, making a jet engine. (laughs) Bill Gates, would you stop it, please? The first jet engine was invented in 1939. The first vaccine was invented in 1796. Okay. Which technology have we had more time with? I don't know, Bill. I guess it just gets more complicated as the years go by. That would explain why Windows XP was perfect and it just went downhill from there, eh, Bill? Actually, I bet if you charted Bill Gates' interest in vaccines and public health against the innovations of windows as an operating system i think there's an inverse correlation as soon as he started paying attention to this public health stuff the product started to suffer maybe he is a tech expert maybe he should pay attention to that a little more than public health (coughs) their straight talking vaccine puppet bill gates people just see him he's speaking very rationally very cleanly very concisely he's making eye contact they don't question they don't think deeply They just go, "Mm mm-hmm, yes. I think most people are not even listening at all. 
when Bill Gates is speaking. It's, oh, yeah, Bill Gates. Yep. We got to listen to him. No, you don't. He's a creepy guy, in my opinion. There's something really creepy about him. I don't know what it is. I don't want to get religious or whatever. He's, he looks like an apparition. Okay. I don't know why he's not more reticent to take the spotlight. He just seems a little too eager to answer questions when he's given these platforms. I don't know. It doesn't add up. So I'm not going to crack into any crackpot conspiracy theories, but um, I will leave that as an open question. What the heck is going on with Bill Gates? But he had an interview um, where he talked about how he could have prevented this COVID pandemic from starting in the first place. And I think actually he's right on this. So I want to clip this because honestly, it's fair and balanced over here. Okay, Bill Gates, I think he might be misinformed, but he does say something correct here. Let's clip this and let's listen to this. Take a drink, please. With several billion dollars in 2015, what could have been done? You could have uh, turned on large-scale PCR diagnostics testing uh -huh. very quickly. And so when people were coming out of China, you could have tested them and quarantined the, the people who tested positive. So what he's saying here makes sense because actually a PCR test at that stage would have prevented it from spreading around. It'll test everyone who came in with a PCR, anyone who had anything in their system, get them into quarantine and just at the source, stop it. But what happened was these 5 million people fled Wuhan, China, and a lot of people were coming back from China during Chinese New Year because that's when this thing kicked off, really. And they brought it wherever they went. And you can take a look at the flight data. People have charted it out. They went all over, and that's where the outbreaks happened. Potentially a lot of asymptomatic carriers who come back into the world and their children go to daycares, for example, and intermingle with other kids. Those kids may or may not get severely sick, but they will pass that on to their parents. And anyone who has a young child who goes to daycare will know my child happens to spit in my mouth all the time. He's one and a half years old. He's not trying to spit in my mouth, but it just happens. And he's gotten me sick. He's contracted something in daycare, taken it home and gotten me sick. And so... If we have all these Chinese families who are trying to quickly set up roots in another community where they have another house or they've got something else, some family there, put their child in daycare, boom, this thing starts spreading. And remember, these are people who perhaps are already established who were going back to China for Chinese New Year, which is something that if you're Chinese is normal. My wife is Chinese, her and her family, and even me, I go back with them as well. I go back with her and it's a yearly thing, twice a year. They'll go back to China. So they went back to China during Chinese New Year, actually that year, in early 2020. And we didn't go because we had a young baby under one year old. So we thought, avoid that flight for this year. But they went. As soon as this thing started heating up, they booked early flights to come back because they didn't want to be trapped in China. So uh, I've got some insights into this specifically, but they weren't tested. They were told to quarantine and that's it. So they did quarantine and they were very good about it. But... I can tell you without a single doubt that many did not honor quarantine coming back from China, whether they were told to or not, and whether they even had the option to do so because you come back and maybe you don't have a lot of family. Maybe you're just one person. Maybe you don't have any friends. It's possible. How are you going to get your stuff? How are you not going to come into contact with people? At that time, also, you know, it, people didn't even know what this was. They didn't think it was that big of a deal. So that's how it spread. So Bill Gates, given his due, he got that correct. If we had those PCR tests in place, 
dialed them up and tested everybody coming back from China or probably anybody coming in at all, then we would have prevented this thing from really spreading. And also China and the WHO did some weird stuff where they didn't tell everyone fast enough. There were whistleblowers in China. And I don't suspect the dust has settled on that story just yet. So we'll have to keep uh, our eyes peeled for that. So then Bill, this is, by the way, he's talking to Anderson Cooper. And then he goes on to talk about the vaccines. So take a drink of this. Has the speed of the development of the vaccine surprised you? Dr. Fauci and I knew that there was a possibility that in 12 months we would have the vaccines. No one had ever made an mRNA vaccine. Now, those vaccines aren't perfect. They're more expensive than we'd like. They're less thermostable and they're harder to scale up. So in the next five to 10 years for the next pandemic, we will we'll solve all those problems. You say the next pandemic, there will be another pandemic. Absolutely. We don't know when, you know, the risk per year, 2%, 3%. Why are you so sure there will be another one? You roll the dice every year. Eventually, the dice don't favor you. Bill is talking about this like it's a product rollout with milestones and everything. Well, we'll release with these features and then over the next five years, we'll be able to scale up and we'll be able to afford to deliver more features at a lower price. He's talking about this like it's a product. It's in plain sight. Anderson Cooper's just like a, a good little basset hound going, oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. It's absurd that nobody has any thoughts or questions about this in the mainstream. I listen to this and I'm utterly creeped out. I can't be alone. But please let me know how you feel. Honestly, I, I have to know. Are you feeling creeped out by this guy? Comment, email me, whatever it is. Reach out. Let me know. I need to know. Thank you very much. But let's continue. But first, a little word from our sponsors. Bill Gates advice on how to combat mistrust in science at 60minutesovertime.com. Sponsored by Pfizer. Sorry, just had to give a little wink to our corporate overlords. Sponsored by Pfizer. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Are you in there? Gosh, they are just operating in plain sight, aren't they? Hey, trust the science because, yeah, Pfizer says so. Ridiculous. You are incredibly rational and believe in science. We are now in an age where there is intense mistrust of science. How does one battle that? We have to make the truth more interesting than the oversimplistic conspiracy. How do you do that? There may be some need to slow down the crazy stuff. Whoa. Okay, so hold on. Let me just rephrase that whole convo right there. So, Bill, you trust the science because you're a smart guy. What do you think about all these conspiracy theories? And then Bill says, there might be a need to slow down the crazy stuff. Meaning, shut down the discourse. I'm sorry, if there are different voices than the established narrative, then that means they need to be shut down? If it's so crazy then why can't you just easily silence it with your correct thoughts instead of silencing it by censoring and quote-unquote slowing down the crazy stuff? I don't know what he means there. Maybe he does mean combating good ideas with bad in the spirit of free speech, but I don't know. We have to wonder. He doesn't elaborate. Hey, guys, it's me, Donnie. Head to drinkyfromhumanskulls.com to join my mailing list. I'll send you my newest episodes and my hottest selfies. See you there.
Anyhow, let's move on. I'm in the early days of this podcast. I spent a lot of time trying to think about how to promote it and what to do about it and how to get it out there. And it's a bit of an eerie period because I think when you begin a podcast, you're actually talking to no one. You're talking to yourself in a room alone by yourself with a microphone speaking emphatically to nobody. So it's a little bit weird. And anyways, the reason I mention that is because I don't really know exactly. I haven't got a sense of who understands things the way that I am, who is seeing the world the way that I am. I don't know who exactly is out there that I'm resonating with at this precise moment. So when I hear a clip like this, then it changes my thoughts a little bit because I think more and more people must be on this tip than just me. This is from the Australian Open, and let's just clip it right now because it's gosh darn hilarious. Take a drink. And there was a pretty uncomfortable moment, though, during the trophy presentation afterwards with some very riled-up fans booing Tennis Australia's president, Jane Hardlicker, was acknowledging the challenges COVID-19 has presented in light of the vaccination rollout and got a pretty vocal response. With vaccinations on the way, rolling out in many countries around the world, it's now a time for optimism and hope for the future. There are many other people to thank that enabled this great night to take place in the last couple of weeks. The top of that list is the Victorian government. Without you, we could not have done this. Gee, that's Pretty brutal, isn't it? poor form, I thought. Sylvia, the crowd drowned her multiple times and she had to ask them to stop before continuing. Hmm. So there they are. Who knew that Australian tennis fans were so rough? I thought this was a gentleman's game. But anyhow, it should be clear that if Australian tennis fans aren't into the vaccine, then who actually is? Besides the fear and the grief-stricken people who are subject to the mainstream media onslaught, that is. I think they've ordered more doses in America than there are people. But anyways, as of uh, recording this in March 2021... They vaccinated 100 million people, so a third of the American population, roughly. And I don't know, I just don't buy it. We'll have to wait until the dust settles on this and see what happens. But before that, let's clip another one of my favorite doctors, Dr. Lee Merritt. We heard her before in a previous episode talking about these different medications that could be used in place of the COVID-19 quote-unquote vaccine. And she goes on and details her background and why it wouldn't make any sense for her to lie Oh, and by the way, this is uh, from a podcast called Two Mikes, hosted by Mike Schuler and Colonel Mike. Let's get into it. Take a drink. Thank you for coming on. Welcome to Two Mikes. This is your first time, and let us know a little bit about you. Thank you. Yeah, I grew up in the Midwest, but I attended medical school at the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry in New York. And then I went on, and it's funny, in those days, it cost $7,500 a year to go to medical school, and that was an outrageous (laughs) amount which is funny because my son, it was 47,500 in 2011, but it, and I took a Navy scholarship. So I went off and I did an internship at Bethesda Naval Hospital. And my claim to fame recently, I, I remembered this when this whole thing broke out that I had fallen asleep in front of Tony Fauci in a room filled with four people. Probably didn't make a good impression on Dr. Fauci. Probably um, saved some of your brain power, though, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. She's a greener. I'm still asleep, and I'm in a nightmare with the doctor. <laughs> um, so then after that, I did an orthopedic residency 
in the Navy. I spent most of my active duty time taking care of the Marine Corps in Camp Lejeune and Iwakuni and various places. And then I got out, did a spine fellowship back at the University of Rochester. So for most of my professional career, I've actually been an orthopedic spinal surgeon. Okay, let's just get one thing straight. Anyone who's ripping apart people's spines and putting them back together again, I think that person probably knows a thing or two about what's going on in the world. And they're dialed in. Because that's important work. You make one wrong cut and you're killing a person or severely disabling them, as far as I know. Dr. Merritt was also in the Navy, so we can expect that she's probably privy to some level of information in the past, at least, that the general public is not privy to. So she's an insider in that sense. But anyway, I just wanted to stop there and highlight those few accolades because what she says next, it's a kind of a bombshell. And I think people's natural tendency is to say, oh, this person's a crackpot, this person's whatever. But I don't think she is. I think she's saying things that make so much sense. So let's have a listen. Take a drink. Now, you know, how I got interested in all this, because I'm semi-retired now, so I do elective surgery. I used to take trauma call for 30 years. Now I don't. So when they shut everything down, what are you going to do? So instead of sitting around getting upset and wondering what's going on, we doctors, what do we do? We study things. So that's how I ended up in this. Now, I also have a little background. After I got out of the Navy, I served on the NRAC, which is the Navy Research Advisory Committee that looks at defense issues for the Navy, technology specifically. And I looked at things like, should we keep the, by law, they have to have a, a physician on it. And should we keep the hospital ships? That's one of the projects I worked on. And then I looked at things like, just on my own, I decided to, what do we know about really atomic, biologic, ABC, atomic, biologic, and chemical warfare defenses? So some of what I learned back then, and I've been concerned about for a long time, plays a role in here. Now, I'm not, I don't pretend to be a, an infectious disease expert, but then neither is Dr. Fauci. The difference is I'm not being paid by anybody. You know, what you're going to find out in this whole nightmare, I think, is that the doctors that are independent, they're not being paid to tell you something that isn't true. We don't have any benefit in telling you something that's not true. And that's a big issue here, unfortunately. So that's how I got to this. And then I had the good luck. I, I'm past president of the AAPS, which is a, a group that's been fighting against government medicine since the AMA went with them in 1943. But thankfully, the AAPS got doctors together. So I was fortunate enough to be on an internet kind of chat thing with email with doctors from all over the world, including Didier Raoul and Dr. Zelenko and all these big guys that, that were figuring out how to care for people with this virus. And what really caused me to have my brain explode, I'll tell you, they talk about the Great Awakening. Well, here was my Great Awakening. We started hearing about hydroxychloroquine long before Trump mentioned it. And then when Trump mentioned it, I thought, oh, they just don't like it because orange man bad. But really what it turned out to be is much worse than that. So I started looking at the literature about hydroxychloroquine and the family of drugs in that category, which are called lysosomotropic agents. There are a bunch of different things. And there are other treatments besides this, by the way. But I first started with hydroxychloroquine. And what I discovered, sadly, was that way back in 1974, and actually now I found something back to 1970, they knew about these agents. So just paint the picture here before we talk about this vaccine, which is not a vaccine really, but this agent that they're bringing out. Here's the real ugly lie. And I actually have a paper published about this, about have, has the truth about viral illness or viral treatments been suppressed for decades. Really, they've known 
for a long time, over four decades, that they could have treated viral disease with a, bio, with a, with a simple cheap agent. So think about that. What has happened is every year they told you, get your flu vaccine because 60,000 people died last year of flu. That, they let them die because we could have investigated this and done it. And it took a huge, people don't, they don't want to believe conspiracies. Here's a conspiracy you have to believe in. It didn't take one person to hide this evidence. You had to hide the evidence from published literature. You had to keep it out of the published literature. You had to keep it out of the uh, uh, people from speaking about it on speaking tours. You had to stop pharmaceutical schools, medical schools from talking about this. I, when I found this out, I talked to my son, who's more, I graduated in 1980 from the University of Rochester. He graduated in 20, 2011. So I said, have you ever heard, and he's done, he's still in training. So I said, have you ever heard in all your training years that we could treat viruses with a antimicrobial pill, an agent? He said, no. I called my friend, 40-year professor of internal medicine in a major university. Have you ever heard there was even an idea that we could do this? No. Now, that is a huge secret. That's like keeping a secret from astronomers that we really live in a fishbowl and all is illusion. It's just mm -hmm. unbelievable. This is, this, will, this is a huge change in our medical world, and they've hidden it consistently for 40 years. That's what woke me up. And from then, I've been sitting, studying everything I could. Mm. Okay, I think the story is very salacious indeed. And we have a suppression, perhaps, of information. And I actually mentioned this before, maybe that I've worked inside pharmaceutical companies, Eli Lilly, Merck, MSD, Pfizer, GSK, Allergan, and even more. I worked in Taiwan as a business um, consultant and Taiwan being a country with a national healthcare system. They had a lot of pharmaceutical companies over there trying to get in the mix, and they were well-established and integrated into society. They had all local staff, and usually they would have a district manager who was from maybe another country, probably like Germany or America or something, and that's usually how it went. I've been inside these companies, and listen, it's all about making money. I mean, I worked directly with marketing product managers and we worked on their presentations, who they gave, you know, to their uh, superiors and also who they gave to doctors to really condition them to promote the medicine on their behalf. And that's how it goes. It, it happens behind closed doors. People don't really realize this is how drugs are marketed. In Taiwan, they had a practice where they would basically wine and dine doctors. And, you know, you get people together and you get them drunk and depending on where you are in the country in Taiwan you might order some strippers you know in the south they like to do that kind of stuff it's pretty hilarious but this is how they push medicines so it's not just like it's happening by magic and when Dr. Lee Merritt talks about how they've suppressed this information that these other types of medications can actually remove the need for vaccines altogether hello yeah because they can make a lot more money off vaccines. Everyone needs to be vaccinated. Potentially everyone, at least that's the line, that everyone should be vaccinated for every serious illness. And now they're trying to add another one into the mix. So what's really going on? Do we even need the flu vaccine at all? Do we need any of these vaccines at all? I'm not 100% sure, but I just know it doesn't make any sense. 
And I know Dr. Lee Merritt is making a lot of sense. So let's continue listening to her because honestly, she has a lot more to say still. So let's take a drink. Please, thank you so much, Dr. Lee Merritt. What's the glue to that conspiracy, doctor? Is it money? Is it arrogance? Well, that's a good question, and I'm often asked that. And I say that first I thought it was politics. I thought it was, well, because I didn't know it went back that far. Okay. But, and, and again, I don't know the motive completely, but I can tell you some that I could suggest. One is that if you have a treatment for viral illness, you don't need a vaccine. So that makes our $69 billion a year vaccine industry go to almost zero. We started down the vaccine road because we had smallpox and we had polio. And those are bad diseases. Smallpox killed more people in the 20th century than all the wars put together. And by the way, that's something I do know about. And if we could have masked it away, don't you think we would have? Masks do not work. So we know that. But yeah, so there's that point is that it can destroy a huge industry, the pharmaceutical industry vaccine program. But I think it's really bigger than that. I don't think that, yeah, greed goes a long way, but there's more to it than that because they've, they continue to hide it even when it's, they don't want you to know it now. And why do they not want you to know it now? Because you also can't terrorize a population with designer viruses if you have a treatment in your back pocket. Yeah. And, and make no mistake, we've just entered a new age. We, you and I, we all grew up in the nuclear age where we periodically got a little hotter. We got scared around the Cuban Missile Crisis and we settled down in mutually assured destruction. And we've come to a symbiotic relationship to the, with the fact that we have nuclear weapons out, of, out there. We have just now turned a corner. And although we knew there were bioweapons labs, especially under the Soviets, that's one of the things I studied a long time ago and was very concerned about. We knew that was happening, but it never really hit our backyard. And now we're, it's, hit our, it's hit our backyard. We are now, we've now experienced the first bioweapon attack, essentially. And now we have to decide, now we go into the future. But again, the, the big problem with bioweapons has been the delivery system. And if they're going to use this kind of delivery system, like the coronavirus, we now have a treatment for it. That you don't hear about it on the mainstream media, but the treatment is very effective if done early and often. And used prophylactically. So that's, I think, the, I think those are the motives that I can come up with. Then it's it's money and a political view of the world that people have to be controlled, I would think. Is that kind sure. of... Sure. I mean, you know, what's the history of mankind? Unfortunately, it's the history of warfare. Yeah. And, and we, in my generation and my children's generation, have been extremely fortunate not to have any warfare on our back soil. You yeah. Know? But that's how many, since our revolution or civil war, actually, I guess we could say we've been a very fortunate nation not very to be fortunate. attacked on our soil. But that's not true now. No. Well, those are some pretty sinister and serious allegations, Dr. Lee Merritt, saying that there is much more going on here than simply a pharmaceutical company money grab. She thinks it's more nefarious. She thinks you can control populations with fear. She thinks you can attack other countries with viruses and that she thinks that that is what's taking place. How far-fetched is that? I'm not so sure. I think it's equally plausible that this virus came from a lab or was assisted in its growth or development by lab scientists or that it was simply because of these wet markets in China. Because listen, I've experienced these wet markets firsthand and I've also seen the photographs. There's no sanitation there at all. And I think it's believable to me that this could be a sort of an ecosystem that could really bring about uh, viruses. And let's not forget that the flu every year, because of our livestock production, that's where the flu comes from. Avian flu, swine flu, they come from our production of these 
animals, these millions and millions of animals per year create the flu. So why wouldn't it be that this amped up wet market, which, by the way, at these livestock production facilities, at least they have some standards in some countries. But these wet markets in China, you just have to experience it firsthand for yourself because it's, it's nothing words cannot even describe. That's, I'll just say that. Words cannot even describe. If you're someone who grew up in the West, you're not used to seeing that kind of situation. It's nuts. We're talking dead animals stacked on top of living animals stacked in the middle of surrounded by dead animals, barely cages between them, blood dripping on other animals, animals eating the dead parts of other animals. You can't even imagine. So I think it's equally plausible. Both, I, I can't say, yeah, it was an attack. I can't say it wasn't the wet markets. And um, I will not speculate. Okay, so Dr. Lee Merritt is speculating. She's entitled to that. But let's continue because there's something that they get into right after that where you have to really question. So take a drink. No, in many ways, the, the, the Chinese have attacked, attacked us twice, first with, with fentanyl that we seem unable to control. And right. now the second time with this COVID dancing. And I, we can argue that it's not really just the Chinese, that the Chinese are the proximate military arm of this, but that there are a lot of fingers. I the other thing I found out when I was scouring around the internet early on and reading things and literally going back into old textbooks and stuff, one of the things I found out is that Dr. Fauci funded the Wuhan lab we actually have been funding virologists all around. Ralph Barrick was given, he is, he is Mr. Bat Coronavirus in North Carolina, and he was given $10 million to work on this up gain, gain of function, upregulation of the coronavirus in exactly this way. Bill Gates has a patent, or Bill Gates' company, Perbright, has a patent going back to 2015 on this, on a novel coronavirus. So there's a lot of potential fingers pointing that could be done. In Winnipeg, here's something that also will blow your mind. Under President Clinton, it was illegal to have have anybody from a non-allied state working in a lab in America that potentially could produce a biopathogen. So if you were working on Ebola for sure, but if you were working on even salmonella or anthrax, like at, at the State University of Iowa, you are not supposed to have, Clinton made it illegal to have unallied states, like a graduate student from Iran or somebody from North Korea or someplace, or somebody that wasn't our ally working in those labs. But now we're in a literally the NIH under Dr. Fauci was paying Dr. Xi to come. She was in, she was working at Winnipeg, their level four biocontainment lab. She was being paid a stipend though to come down and study Marburg at our army bioweapons facility. Are you kidding me? We had a PLA, People's Liberation Army scientist in our USAMRID at, at Fort Detrick. Yeah. I just, this just blows my mind. Oddly enough, and I've told uh, Colonel Mike, I went to school in Winnipeg in 75, 76, okay. 77. I, I did a, a, my doctorate there. But what, what struck me is how flooded that school was at that time in the technology areas, the medical areas, and engineering with Chinese students. And, and that you know, was what year? Uh, 75, 76, 77. So this has and, been going on for a while. Well, my goodness, yes. And, and at that time, it was easy to tell because they had all little Mao uniforms and hats on. Oh my gosh. What? But they work like devils, I have to say that. Well, yeah. And but look at what's happened. We found out that the chief the senior the chairman of biology biochemistry at Harvard got caught 
right. not only worked getting an $11 million grant from the Department of Defense of the United States for doing research, but was part of the Thousand Talents program of China, taking money from them and not small change. He was taking a lot of money from them. And one of the points of the Thousand Talents program is you're paid bonuses if you steal proprietary information. Okay, so certain people from certain governments have infiltrated certain institutions, and that may have been going on for longer than we have ever thought. But I want to stress that I don't think this is, again, most Chinese people is impossible. I would say it's probably the case that 99.5% of Chinese people that you run into have no super affiliation to the government of China. But are there Chinese agents that exist and are there clever ways of recruiting Chinese people who are already established? Absolutely, of course. And by the way, this is something that we do in Canada and they do it in America and they do it in the UK and etc. So I don't know. But the thing is, if it was the case that these agents acquired information about a virus and then took that to a lab and it's Fauci is affiliated with that lab and there's a lot of stuff there, it's weird. Hey guys, it's me, Donnie, the host of Drinking From Human Skulls. The world is coming to an end, you don't have a job, and you're bleeding your parents dry. Pretty soon, everyone in love is going to die in nuclear war. That's why this is the perfect time to donate to Drinking From Human Skulls, a professional podcast. Just visit drinkingfromhumanskulls.com and click the donate button to get started. And if you can't afford to donate, Click on anything that looks like an ad. Doing so will help me and your corporate overlords. Why let your money disintegrate in a mushroom cloud when you could support the Drinking From Human Skulls podcast? Now, let's get back to the show. And of course, all this is to say that we shouldn't be putting so much trust into these characters like Dr. Fauci and Speak of the Devil. Because Dr. Fauci was recently a guest on an Instagram video with a Mexican comedian slash actor named Eugenio Derbez. Seems like he's been in a lot of stuff. Looks legitimate. He's got a uh, he's got an Instagram profile with 15 million followers, quite a number. And he was tapped to do an interview with Dr. Fauci, and I don't think Fauci expected the kinds of questions that he got. So let's take a drink. What about the long term? What, what is the medical and legal responsibility of the companies that are making the vaccines? What happens if secondary effects are seen, let's say, in, in five or 10 years? Can I sue the manufacturer yeah. of the product if it hurts me or if there's long term effects years down the road? There is a fund that allows the compensation for injury. But I have to tell you, Eugenio, that it's very unlikely that you're going to have an effect five or 10 years down the pike. The reason we say that is that we have decades of experience in the field of vaccinology and virtually all of the effects, if they even occur, and they're very rare, occur within 15 to 45 days following the dose. And one of the stipulations of the emergency use authorization is that they don't allow it to be given to people until 60 days following when half of the people have gotten their last dose. So they're adding some cushion time. So that's the reason why, even though we had the data that indicated that it was safe and effective, each of the companies had to wait 60 days 
before they were able to release it to be given to the people. Because the most of the bad effects, if they do occur, and I say it's extremely rare, they almost all occur between 15 and 45 days. Yeah. I'm more concerned about the long-term effects, honestly. So, uh, and well, that, that's what I ask about the, if I can sue a manufacturer, but governments around the world are taking the liability, governments. But I'm right. talking about the manufacturer. If there's a problem, can I sue the people that made the vaccine, not the government, the, the people that made the vaccine? Because I've heard they are protected from liability. If they're not willing to stand for their product, or if I can't sue them, does that mean they're worried it's going to hurt people? They are very sensitive about hurting people, but you can sue anybody you want to sue. There's no guarantee because it will be in a court that would decide whether or not you get compensation. But we but have not had we have not had any issues with that in any of the other vaccines. So I would be really a surprise that's the case. But let me tell you why. But there's one thing that I suppose would make people or skepticals like me more confident about vaccine. I'm thinking about if they remove the protections on vaccine manufacturers. I think that the ability to be sued, and when I'm talking about suing, is not about money at all. The ability to be sued is what makes companies make a better product if you take that away. If you take that away, uh, what incentive do they have to fix a problem with their product? You, you know what I mean? If the yeah. manufacturers could be sued for every death and injury that is caused by the vaccination, probably they wouldn't put it in the market right now. Or they, I think they should be responsible for the product they've made. They really actually are. I think one of the things you got to separate is when you get injury in a trial or injury in a product after it has been fully approved. You have the opportunity, I, I understand where you're coming from and why you bring it up, but you have the opportunity to sue anybody, anytime for anything you want to do. That is the truth. The question is, you have to show that it's related to the vaccine itself. And we have so few, in fact, I can't even think of a situation where five or 10 years later, something related to a vaccine caused someone an injury. That's the reason why I say almost everything that occurs is within a very short period of time. It, but if I sue the, the manufacturer who pays for that, for that, yeah, for that is the government not the company is right. What a wild exchange that was. The host just continuously asking the same question. At the end of it, his brain finally breaks and he's, okay, I don't think Fauci's going to really answer this, but I've got an article right here. Let me read you the headline. This is from CNBC. December 17th, 2020. You can't sue Pfizer or Moderna if you have severe COVID vaccine side effects. The government likely won't compensate you for damages either. And here are the key points. Under the PrEP Act... Companies like Pfizer and Moderna have total immunity from liability if something unintentional goes wrong with their vaccines. A little-known government program provides benefits to people who can prove they suffered serious injury from a vaccine. That program, however, rarely pays, covering just 29 claims over the last decade. Well, the key points pretty much summarize it right there. There is a specific act in place, at least in America, to prevent companies from having liability. 
Dr. Fauci was just talking about how it's very rare to have an adverse effect. And we've been doing this for decades now and we know what we're doing and et cetera, et cetera. But there's a little website that I'll point you to. Just go to www.drinkingfromhumanskulls.com. You'll find the link in the show notes, the transcript. And it is a website called OpenVayers, V-A-E-R-S. And if you don't know what VAERS is, V-A-E-R-S, it is a vaccine adverse event reporting system put in place in 1990. They say it's a voluntary reporting system that has been estimated to account for only 1% of vaccine injuries. OpenVAERS is built from HHS data available for download at VAERS.HHS.gov. And the OpenVAERS project allows browsing and searching of reports without the need to compose an advanced search. And honestly, I went to the website where the VAERS data is available for searching and filtering. And you must have to be some sort of a legitimate data scientist to figure out how to get the information out of this thing. So... What this website has done, OpenVayers, is they have figured out how to basically download and parse the data in a way that's interpretable in an easy fashion. And by doing that, they have shown a light on just how many adverse effects there are from vaccines. The highlights from their main page, 835,401 records of vaccine injury in Vayers. 10,242 deaths, 80,000 hospitalizations, 31,079 COVID vaccine adverse events reported. And again, this is from a voluntary reporting system. So they don't have all the reports, but enough people, hello, 31,000 people have reported that they had an adverse effect. So how rare is that? That's 30,000 people, and that's only the tip of the iceberg because most people don't report anything. So Dr. Fauci is saying, hey, listen to me, there's very few adverse effects. That's just complete bullshit. There's so many of them. So all this is going on in plain sight right under our noses, and the disinformation PR campaign has really ratcheted things up and is hoodwinking a lot of people. They're using fear, they're using disinformation, they're using advertising, using sponsorship, and they're certainly abusing people's goodwill and trust and faith. And that, to me, is the biggest and most egregious point here. And well, you know what? In other parts of the world, it can get even more twisted. In fact, we've got a report from an outlet called WIO News who spell out how the thugs at Pfizer are bullying the governments of Argentina and Brazil. Let's take a drink of this. What a stark contrast this is. The US-based company Pfizer is holding governments to ransom, interfering with their legislation, even demanding military bases as guarantee. Would you believe it? A vaccine maker asking for a country's military base in return for vaccines. On Gravitas tonight, we'll bring you two horror stories from Latin America and the bizarre demands that Pfizer is making. Let's start by looking at Pfizer's business in the region. It has vaccine deals with nine Latin American countries. Chile, Colombia, Costa Rica, Dominican Republic, Ecuador, Mexico, Panama, Peru and Uruguay. 
Two major Latin American nations are missing from this list, Argentina and Brazil. Neither has a deal with Pfizer, but both have a story to tell. Let's start with Argentina. Talks between Argentina and Pfizer began in June 2020. In July, President Alberto Fernandez held a meeting with Pfizer's CEO in Argentina. Guess what followed? Pfizer asked to be compensated for the cost of any future lawsuits. What does that mean? Say someone files a civil lawsuit against Pfizer in Argentina, and if that person wins the case, who pays the compensation? It won't be Pfizer. It would be the government of Argentina. Now, Argentina had never done this before, but it made an exception. It needed life-saving vaccines, and desperate times call for desperate measures. So Argentina's parliament passed a new law in October 2020. But Pfizer was unhappy with its phrasing. The law said Pfizer needs to at least pay for negligence, for its own mistakes, if it happens to make any in future. Pfizer rejected this. It won't pay for its mistakes. Argentina then offered to amend the law, to define negligence more clearly, to include only vaccine distribution and delivery under negligence. Pfizer was still not happy. It demanded the law be amended through a new decree. That's when Argentina put its foot down. They refused. Pfizer then asked Argentina to buy an international insurance. What for? To pay for potential future cases against the company. Argentina agreed. In December 2020, Pfizer came back with more demands. It wanted sovereign assets as collateral. What does that mean? Pfizer wanted Argentina to put, and listen to this, put its bank reserves, its military bases, and its embassy buildings at stake as collateral. Pfizer wanted Argentina to put its sovereignty at stake for what? Just to secure vaccines. There is no doubt that Pfizer is sitting on a pile of life-saving drugs. But what gives it the right to bully a government? Profiteering from your plight and mine. You see, vaccine manufacturers have always enjoyed a certain amount of liability waiver. Say you receive a vaccine from Pfizer, you have adverse effects because of the jab. You can always go ahead and file a lawsuit against the company. And if you win that lawsuit, instead of Pfizer, it will be the government that will be compensating you. And this is a normal practice. In the United States, for example, the PrEP Act, that's the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act, gives total immunity to companies like Pfizer and Moderna. But this is only if something goes wrong unintentionally. This does not apply to negligence. Pfizer is not happy with that. It, it wants more, not just sovereign assets, but a fraud insurance. Argentina was not okay with this. What about Brazil? What did Pfizer do in Brazil? The world's third most affected country. Pfizer went a step ahead and asked Brazil to create a guarantee fund and deposit money in a foreign bank account. On the 23rd of January 2021, Brazil's health ministry put out this statement, citing excerpts from Pfizer's pre-contract clauses. These are Pfizer's demands. Look at this. Number one, Brazil waives the sovereignty of its assets abroad in favor of Pfizer. This is a vaccine company. Number two, that the rules of the land be not applied on Pfizer. Number three, that Brazil take into consideration a delay in delivery. Number four, that Pfizer is not penalized for it, for a delay in delivery. 
And number five, in case of any side effects, Pfizer be exempted from all civil liability. The government of Brazil calls these clauses abusive. And they're right. It goes without saying the Pfizer deal with Brazil failed too. This is a report by the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. It talks about a third country, one whose deal with Pfizer was reportedly pushed back by three months. Why? Because Pfizer made similar bizarre demands. The company has just two billion doses to deliver this year, and that is on a first-come, first-served basis. A delay of three months can cost a whole year, and it can cost a lot of lives. Pfizer is playing with life-saving drugs. It is abusing its position and having developed a vaccine with the help of government funding, it is now throwing tantrums at governments. Did you know that Pfizer's German partner, BioNTech, was given $445 million by the government of Germany? The US paid Pfizer $2 billion as early as July 2020. This was against pre-orders. Pfizer is looking at making $15 billion from vaccine sales this year. It is in talks with 100 countries and organizations. There is no dearth of money for this company. Why then is Pfizer bent on squeezing desperate countries of their assets? Like we showed you, nine Latin American and Caribbean countries struck deals with Pfizer for vaccines. What did they have to give up in exchange? Military bases, embassy buildings, sovereign funds, Look at Pfizer's hypocrisy. It is bullying poor countries behind closed doors and in front of the press. It is playing Messiah. On the 22nd of January, Pfizer signed an agreement with COVAX, the Global Vaccine Alliance. It committed 40 million doses to poor countries this year. And the company put out a press release. You must listen to what they say. I want to read out a particular quote from Pfizer chairman and CEO Albert Burla. At Pfizer, he says, we believe that every person deserves to be seen, heard and cared for. And that's why from the very beginning of our vaccine development program, Pfizer and BioNTech have been firmly committed to working towards equitable and affordable access of COVID-19 vaccines for people around the world. Does this make you angry too? It's time we call out such companies that are out to profiteer from the pandemic. Does that sound like gangster behavior to you? Profiteer, that might be putting it lightly. The fact is they have all the supply. You have to comply if you want their vaccines. Now, the anchor in this case believes that the vaccine will do something. I don't believe that. But she's pointing out that this is a true example of corporate profiteering taking advantage of people when they need help the most. And despite all this, here's where we are. They keep ordering more vaccines with the goal of vaccinating the entire world. And this is a disturbing kind of press conference that's starting up. And these press events, it looks like they're trying to sell the people. And why not? They are trying to sell you. I mean, you're paying for it. When the American government puts money into the box of Big Pharma, they're literally stealing it from your tax contributions. You don't want the vaccine? Well, that doesn't matter. You're still going to pay for it. Well, folks, I've been collecting all these clips for the last little while and documenting everything that I hear on different podcasts and different news reports and from social media, etc. And honestly, there is a ton of stuff that I just couldn't fit in here. And uh, I'm exhausted just putting this together. And I think this is a pretty compelling case. 
of why we shouldn't trust the pharmaceutical companies, why public relations is rampant, why the pharma companies are in bed with the politicians, are in bed with the media, are in bed with even social media, because if you post anything against the vaccines, you're blocked, banned, shadow banned, whatever. And they're canceling people who are speaking out against the vaccine in any capacity. I really have to wonder if these companies really stand behind their technology and their product. Why is it that they'll only deal with countries who grant them that legal immunity? Why is the media so one-sided on this? And I think the answers are quite clear. This is a product. This quote-unquote vaccine is a product. They want to sell it. They want to sell it for years to come. They want to sell it just like they wanted to sell the flu vaccine. And at this point in the pharmaceutical game, for anyone who knows anything about this business, it is difficult to come up with new medicines. And with this vaccine, quote-unquote, not only were they funded almost wholly by the government and other private interests, but... They have no legal liability if it fails or causes all sorts of problems. So I think we have a case where these companies are opportunists. I don't know if there's anything more nefarious than that. We can't really prove it. I think for me, it's very salacious, even just the stuff on the surface. And by the way, all of this stuff that I have clipped for you today and presented here today is all on the surface. None of this is conspiracy theory stuff. Go to my website, www.drinkingfromhumanskulls.com. Take a gander. See what you find. Check the links. I'm not hiding anything. This ain't no QAnon spin zone, okay? And folks, I really want to finish this episode, but late breaking news as I wrap it up, the AstraZeneca vaccine is being banned by several countries, France, Italy, Germany, Denmark, Iceland, and Norway, all because they suspect there's a link between the vaccine and blood clots. And honestly, I'm not even sure if that's true. There's been a few people who have blood clots, and I haven't done a full investigation, but from what I can tell, it's actually a dramatically lower number of people getting blood clots from the vaccine than would normally get blood clots in the general population. Could this be a PR hit piece against AstraZeneca? We've seen how Pfizer behaves with governments of legitimate countries. What else could they do? So with that, I bid you adieu, Godspeed, good luck, and I hope you're doing well. Take it easy.